Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. Well, good evening. My name's Scott Boudreau. It's February 22nd. Uh, I'm teaching on behalf of Peter Buckland tonight, this personal spiritual growth uh, class that you guys have been going through. I've been with you most of the weeks, missed a couple, but um, tonight we want to start out, um, and you can lay those uh, assessments aside if, if, if you're finished. We'll come back to them in just a minute. Uh, but I want to begin tonight by asking you the question that really is the pressing question of uh, this whole study throughout this semester, and that is, um, how are you doing? In other words, each week, uh, we've tried to introduce some things that uh, you might begin to put into practice in your uh, spiritual life, in your connection with God, and some different things that uh, can help uh, you pursue God in a new and more meaningful way. And so, I guess what I want you to do at your tables, just openly here for a few minutes, I'll give you about five minutes to discuss, but just talk about your experiences this week. I know last week you talked about um, how our brain does different things and how that affects our, our, our reactions and how we study and a lot of different things. But I want you to talk specifically um, about if you've been using any of the uh, tools that uh, Peter's been presenting to you, the Lectio Divina, the Examine, the Morning Affirmations, uh, the uh, most recently, uh, last week talked about some of the other uh, tools that uh, you could use that um, allow you uh, to begin this uh, spiritual growth journey and really let it happen for you. So just talk about what's working, what's not working. Be honest if you want to. If you haven't tried anything, that's okay too. But uh, just talk through some things and and uh, let's see uh, kind of where you are. Just talk at your table for a few minutes and I'll, I'll give you some time to do that. Okay, welcome back to live action. Tell me something at your table that you heard or that maybe you expressed yourself that um, you liked about what happened this past week. Anybody? Anybody want to share something to the? I have, to have a plan. You have to have a plan. I have okay. To have a plan and I don't want if it's just reading. I'll be like, yeah, done, and can tell you what I read. Like I have to have something that makes me like questions and answers. And okay. So responding maybe to a actual passage with with uh, questions or okay. Anybody try the twenty second thing this week? Yep. Did you like it? It worked. Okay. Somebody else share something. What else? Any of the personality style prayer practices? Anybody try any of those? Okay. Well, you know, this is always going to be a work in progress. 
and uh, we're going to keep talking about it. We're going to keep working at it. Um, it's it's great uh, in your marriage. Obviously, it's it's great to challenge each other, but also let each other be very individualistic because that's what this relationship with God is. It's an individual relationship uh, in the end, and 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 we're going to connect to God in different ways, and that's part of what we're going to find out even as we talk through the sacred. Uh, pathways assessment here uh, in just a moment. So tonight our topics are for you to discover your spiritual pathway and discover the value of silence and solitude. How many of you really hate silence and solitude just in a general sense? Okay, a few of you. (laughs) Like, please (laughs) don't... The worst thing you could do to Josh is like send him to his room, you know. Some of you, if we sent you to your room, like my mom, I'll tell a quick story. Her mother used to send her to the pantry, but there were books in the pantry. And so she would just start reading the books and she was fine with being sent to the pantry eventually. But um, Josh doesn't want to be sent to the pantry. You said you don't like solitude? Go ahead. Okay, the silence. Yeah. Yeah. We're so used to distractions. We're going to talk about that a little bit here in just a moment. Um, Have you have you ever done anything like this spiritual pathway assessment that we did with all the numbers and just where it really just kind of makes you think about here's what I like. These are things that I connect to God with. Um, and if you go ahead and score this out, you know, it, it, you can probably see some things. Just kind of, I would tell you, look at your top three and then look at your very lowest as we kind of walk through this uh, sacred, sacred Pathways assessment uh, by Gary Thomas. Um, and let's just kind of walk through the different uh, results that you could have come up with. Um, how many of you came up with the naturalist as your high one? One, two, anybody else? Three, four. Okay. How many had sensate as your highest? Anybody? You're close, Josh? Oh, okay. How many had traditionalist as their highest? One, two, Okay. How many had ascetics or ascetics? One. Okay. How many had activists? Okay. Close. One. How many had caregiver? One, two, three, four, five. Okay. Six. There in the middle. Uh, how many had enthusiast? One, two. Okay. How many had contemplative? One, two, three, four, five. All right. And how many had intellectual? One, two, three. Okay. Um, as you look at this, does it? Do you agree with it when you see that? Uh, maybe at least on the low stuff, and maybe the high. You know, I mean, a lot of these. You might depend on how many threes you put down. You might have put a lot of your answers at Mill Road, but 
Um, you know, I will tell you just personally, my highest came out at intellectual and then contemplative and then enthusiast. And my low was traditionalist. That doesn't really surprise me um, in, in, in too many ways. Um, I've been around a lot of traditional things over, over my lifetime and uh, growing up overseas, uh, though I think broke me of having to just do things one way. I mean, I, I was in a lot of different kinds of church services over my lifetime with music, instruments, without, with um, communion, you know, with one cup and with a tray of cups that we just refilled after everybody got done, or maybe a tray of cups that you drank half and I drank half. You know, I mean, I, I've been in all kinds of different services over time, you know, outside in a, you know, in a meadow somewhere. And uh, so, and I've studied around a lot of um, different folks that held different beliefs too. And I, I think uh, that's why a little bit on the intellectual side, that's, that's pretty heavy for me. My mom had a big influence on the way I study the word, I think, because she taught Greek when I was growing up. So she just still to this day, she just turned 82 last week, and she still likes to just take her Greek New Testament to church and read it, read the word in Greek instead of like you and I in English. And so she's reading it the way it was written. And so that was always very cool to me, and it always, it always meant a lot to me to make sure I knew what the Word said. I wanted to intellectually know what the Word said. And, um, and then the second one for me was contemplative. I, I do want to think about it. Um, um, and then the third one for me is enthusiast, and I really am not a person who just wants to sit around and fold my hands all the time either uh, as I think about connecting to God. I, I, I do think there are has to be some degree of excitement to uh, the way I worship or even corporately as we worship. Or, um, so those are just some clues into my thinking as I look at this. But th- let's look at these individually and let's start with the naturalists. And this is talking about loving God outside. God speaks to naturalists through creation and reading the Bible outside is a way to nourish oneself, seeing God in creation and connecting to him while outside is a way to sense a spiritual and emotional bond with God. Those of you that really like the outside, I think probably can agree with those sentences. You just know that you have that immediate connection in nature. You, you, you can sense God's presence in the trees and his creation and the sun and the brook one coming underneath your feet, all those things. Um, the challenges of this pathway, the naturalist, is um, include individualism. Uh, you might just think, I can just go connect with God by myself. I don't really need anybody else. I got me in the trees and the sunshine and a couple of beavers, and I'm good. Um, you know, And so that could be a challenge to you. Um, also, being overly connected to nature might make you what we would call pantheistic. In other words, uh, you actually worship nature rather than worshiping God. Um, and, and so that could be uh, a danger for you. Uh, spiritual delusion uh, can also be a danger in that you believe that uh, thoughts while in nature or God's will and way without checking 
with the word. So, you know, you're out there and a bird tweets a certain way and that gives you some secret message because that's the way the cardinal tweeted at you. And and you just come back believing, well, right as I was thinking about whether I should buy that new Corvette that's red, this red cardinal just came right by and, you know, tweeted right in front of me and I must need to go buy that Corvette. I mean, there's just so many dangerous conclusions you can make by just relying simply on what you're seeing or experiencing in nature. Um, and so uh, that's another danger sign there. Um, and so that just tells us really that we do still have to check the word against the things we're experiencing uh, out there in nature. Um, and sometimes uh, it, it may mean you just checking with a trusted spiritual friend after you've spent some time out in nature and out in the woods and, um, you know, gotten cleaned up and you're presentable again. You go, you go talk to a friend and say, this is what happened to me while I was walking in the woods today. What do you think about it? And, and make sure it's somebody that you actually trust and honor their uh, opinion. And, and, and again, you're always testing it against uh, what the word actually says. There's some great verses uh, for you to consider. And these are uh, some passages you can look at if, if naturalist is one of uh, maybe your high points. So you've got Psalms uh, 29, 23, and 84. You've got Isaiah chapter 41, verses 17 through 19. You've got Mark chapter 8, 31 and 32, and John four thirty-five. Any comments or, or thoughts you have just thinking about the naturalist? Okay, let's move on to the sensates. Loving God with the senses. And the senses refer to this five senses of touch, taste, smell, sound, and sight. So art and liturgy and body movement, incense, stained glass, uh, fellowship dinner smells, touching a sheep. Um, See, I said fellowship dinner smells and all of you had this potluck dinner, your favorite dish right in your mind, right when I said that. Um, But touching a sheep, uh, music can also... uh, lead to that. Obviously, that could involve sound and uh, sight both. Um, Biblical accounts of the glory of God in the heavens are elaborate affairs and they're rarely quiet. So sensing God is not unbiblical or anti-biblical in any way. It's certainly how God expressed himself. And, you know, you've 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 been in that moment when you weren't expecting that thunderclap, right? And all of a sudden it hit and it really did make you jump out of your chair or uh, jump sideways. Or, um, and, and so we, we understand how powerful God is just from knowing what a peal of thunder can do or a flash of lightning. Um, but idolizing beauty or the experience or worshiping God without conviction or just having some emotional high uh, and mistaking it for true worship, 
Again, those are the danger signs against the sensing uh, person. So, you know, if that is a way that you connect with God, again, we don't say that's wrong. It's not invalid. It's all can be blessed by God and he can certainly show up in in all five of our senses. But as he does so, we want to make sure we're checking that again against uh, not just reality, but against the Bible and against what he says he is uh, throughout the Bible. Um, and here's some scriptures to consider relating to that. Revelation 1 10 uh, and then verses 13 through 17. Revelation 4. Uh, Revelation 8 24. Deuteronomy 6 5. Ezra 1 1 through 3. Ezra 1 26 and 27. Ezra 3 12 and 13. Uh, Ezra 43 3. And then Psalms 45, 1, Malachi 1, 11, Luke 7, 36 through 38. And then specifically, we give you some scriptures even relating to each uh, sense. Taste, we've got Psalms 34, 8, 1 Peter 2, 3. Touch, we've got 1 Samuel 10, 26, Matthew 14, 36, Luke 5, 12 and 13, and Luke 24, 39. And then look... Or sight, we have Luke twenty four thirty nine, John one thirty six, John four thirty five, John nineteen thirty seven, Revelation five six, First Samuel sixteen seven. Hearing, we have Deuteronomy thirty twenty, Psalms ninety six, Psalms one forty, Psalms one forty seven, Psalms one fifty, and then Isaiah three nine, John ten twenty seven, and James one nineteen. Smell, we have Psalms 141.2, 2 Corinthians 2.16, Ephesians 5.2. And then speak, we have Psalms 34.1, Psalms 119.171, and Isaiah 6.15. Now let's jump into traditionalist. Loving God through ritual and symbol is what we're talking about here. Being spiritually nourished by what are often termed the historic dimensions of the faith. Rituals, sacraments, sacrifice, holidays. You love all the special things that are done in church. The church was always decorated a certain way for this particular service. Or uh, was uh, always brought brought to you in a certain way. A communion was served in a certain way. Um, around holidays, you, you celebrated things a certain way. Uh, some may see these traditionalists as legalists, but we're going to take you off the hook here, traditionalists, um, in a minute. Um, but we're not necessarily seeing you as traditionalists, or I mean the traditionalists as legalists who define their faith largely by matters of conduct. In other words, just right and wrong. But traditionalists have a need for sameness and structure. And actually it goes to what Megan was talking about. She wants some structure to her connecting time with God. And so um, there's a little bit of that in there. Ask yourself uh, how you would respond if your worship service was changed. Does that bother you when we change the format up? If we put communion at the end or the beginning, if we put the sermon at the end or the beginning, you know, if we do 
one song and then the sermon or two songs and then the sermon or, you know, we uh, do all one way or all another way. You know, what if we had March Mark preach from the back of the room one day? Would that just bug you? You know, Um, traditionalists, you know, they sometimes like it to stay kind of the same structured way that uh, they've had it. And sometimes they'll struggle uh, with that. But it doesn't mean you have to struggle with your actual connection with God. You have to maybe just realize that you're looking at a preference you had and it doesn't mean that it's going to change your overall connection. Um, a traditionalist uh, would struggle, whereas a person who connected with God in other ways would struggle uh, a lot less uh, when we change maybe the direction things are going. The challenges for the traditionalists or of this pathway include uh, serving God without really knowing him. You just do stuff because that's the way you've always done it. I'm just going to keep on rocking along and don't get me out of my rut here because this is my rut and I like my rut and God likes my rut and why should you change my rut, right? I mean, it's good. Me and God are good, so what, what's wrong with the rest of you? That, that could be your attitude. Uh, I see some smiles out there. Um, but um, you could also neglect some of your social obligations or the other thing that can happen to you is you can feel spiritually empty over time because after a while you have done this you know for a long time and so there can be an emptiness to it and so you're unable uh, even to adapt to a new worship style or a new experience and then you might even tend to judge others who are trying the new stuff you know you're saying well they only knew this is the right way to do it you know um, and so we start judging rather than realizing maybe they're just connecting to God in, in a different way than we choose to. A bunch of scriptures on this one. Uh, Genesis 12, 7 and 8, Exodus 25, 40, Exodus 40, 12 through 15, Leviticus 10, 8 through 10, Numbers 15, 37 through 40, Numbers 21, 4 through 9, Joshua 1, 8, 2 Kings 18, 4, Ezra 8, 32 and 35, Nehemiah 8, 3, Jeremiah 4, or 7, 4 through 7, Amos 5, 21 through 24, Matthew 23, 27, Luke 4, 16, Acts 3, 1 and 10, Acts 16, 13, Acts 21, 26, Romans 3, 25, Romans 8, 3, Colossians 2, 16 and 17, and 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Um, let's jump on to the next one, which is ascetics, loving God in solitude and simplicity. Uh, the ascetic temperature gravitates towards solitude, austerity, simplicity, and deep commitment. Ascetics uh, embrace discipline, severity, and solitude. They can live uh, similarly to the uh, simplicity of the Monastic lifestyle, you could be a monk in your own home, in in other words, almost. Uh, Austerity can be uh, practiced by being morally strict in their actions. They're somber or they're grave in their demeanor. Unadorned, simple lifestyle. Ascetics stress deeds over words and they want to be left alone 
and live a fundamentally internal existence. So don't talk to me. Don't worry about whether I have fancy stuff. This is the way I like it. Um, I don't need anything fancy. Everything's simple. You know, if you walk into their house, everything's homemade and, you know, maybe just the way they want it. Very simple. Maybe not a lot of furniture. They might even be just sitting on the floor or on a cushion. Who knows? Um, And uh, then let's look at um, even when these people are are part of a group, uh, they might seem to be isolated from others and become uncomfortable in a loud, busy environment. Um, Aloneness wakens their soul. Uh, One author's quote is saying, true ascetics are strict with themselves, but treat others with supernatural gentleness. So that's not a bad trait. That'd be a great trait to have is how you treat others in that very gentle way. The challenges of this pathway include loneliness, personal isolation, and drawing into oneself and becoming selfish or overemphasizing your personal piety. Look at me. I don't need anything. I've got, you know, one thing. I've got a, you know, one pair of jeans. I wash them every night and I got one t-shirt and I wash it every night and I got a a, a piece of rope for a belt and that's all I need. I mean, and, and you just get into this overly simplistic, but then you turn it into piety and begin to judge others uh, about uh, the lifestyle you've chosen. It also might mean uh, enjoying pain as a means to feel closer to God. Um, and that's, again, any of these dangers can can be really uh, debilitating to our actual relationship with God. So, um, you know, you've certainly probably seen religious practices that where pain was actually part of the whole deal. Don't count me in on any of that. Okay. I mean, I, I like a lot of different things, but let's leave out the pain worship if we can. That's not something I'm interested in. Um, you know, if you want to whack yourself in the head, you know, that's fine. But I, I really don't need to to feel closer to God. Um, I, you know, and I say that in all humor. But I mean, to the real serious ascetic, that that's part of their deal. I mean, that they feel like, you know, I have to almost feel the pain of my sin or the pain of of my wrong. Uh, and so it can be dangerous uh, when you carry it too far. Some scriptures for you. Uh, Numbers uh, chapter 6, Isaiah 64, 6, Daniel 9, 3, Joel chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Joel 2, 12, um, Zechariah 7, 1 through 10, Matthew 4, 1, Matthew 6, 5 and 6, and Matthew 6, 16 and 17, Matthew 14, 13, and Matthew 14, 22 and 23, Matthew 26, 36 through 39, Mark 135, Mark 6, 30 through 32, Mark 14, 32 through 36, Luke 22, 39 through 46, and John chapter 17. Then let's look at the activists. Loving God through confrontation. These are the confronters. Activists are spiritually nourished through battle. That sounds like, you know, a lot of us think Christians are never supposed to be in battle, right? We're supposed to be gentle, meek, mild, all those things. But the activists really uh, 
feels nourished because they serve God through um, finding things that are unjust in the world or uh, that need justice. And then uh, they define their worship through that stand that they're taking against a particular uh, evil or a particular uh, way that the world is is acting. And this is the guy that might be on the street corner literally preaching. You know, I mean, they're going to call out wrong out there. Um, And activists may adopt, you know, some social or evangelistic cause um, and find their home out there just in the rough and tumble of of the world and confronting people with their wrong. I mean, these people would organize a a march on Washington for their cause. I mean, that's uh, maybe taking it way out there on the extreme side. Um, But they're energized more by interaction with others, even in conflict, uh, than being alone or in small groups. So these activists really don't want to be alone. Um, And they certainly uh, are going to be more energized out there in the world. Francis Schaeffer wrote, there's only one kind of person who can fight the Lord's battles in anywhere near a proper way. And that is the person who by nature is unbelligerent. A belligerent person tends to do it because they're belligerent. At least it looks that way. The world must observe that when we must differ with each other as true Christians. We do, we do not do it because we love the smell of blood the smell of the arena, the smell of the bullfight, but because we must for God's sake. The fear involved in confrontation creates a certain dependence on God that isn't normally present. Facing this fear, stepping out in faith, and finding God faithful as he meets you can bring deeper intimacy with him. Activists are often involved in social issues, And the challenges of this pathway include emotionally connecting with others, uh, not being overly judgmental and being graceful. Um, And and that that becomes the real challenge. Um, So being activists and certainly evangelizing folks for Christ and in a public way is not not wrong by any means, but uh, carrying it to extremes that then begin to ignore the actual uh, needs of the people around you. And, and, and certainly being a belligerent person is not what Jesus uh, would have, uh, even though he turned the tables, uh, as we learned about a couple weeks ago, in a certain moment for a certain purpose, he made a stand. So um, we can certainly see that. Uh, some scriptures real quick for you. The life of Moses begin with Exodus uh, there you see a guy that was an activist, right? I mean, Moses had to keep going into Pharaoh, right? And keep sent and then in the plagues according to what God had told him. And certainly he was trying to change uh, what was going on in that culture at that time. Also, Proverbs 24, 11 and 12, Psalm 7, Psalm 68 and Psalms 140. And then Ezekiel 33, 1 through uh, 20. Got a couple more here. Um, caregivers. Loving God through caring. We had a bunch of these, I think, in, in our group. So serving God through acts of mercy that demonstrate selflessness. Be sure you read all those um, 
in their selflessness. Don't don't put an I in there somewhere. Uh, Mother Teresa is heralded as the best example probably of this type of selfless love. Just went into a terrible situation. People with diseases, people with all kinds of problems, orphans, and turned the world upside down by her practical acts of just caring uh, for people and showing mercy in ways that caregivers connect with God because they know in that moment they're showing the mercy of God. Um, and that's, that's a really important gift. If you have that gift, God bless you and keep doing it um, because some of the rest of us are not going to have as strong a gift in that area. And we're, and, and we're going to tend to shy away from that. Um, but it is a powerful way for you to connect with God. Um, uh, and then uh, you'll also find these folks helping someone. Uh, uh, it becomes as valuable to them as prayer in a way, because maybe even in that moment they're having prayer with the unlovely or the person that uh, they're showing that mercy to. And um, it becomes a very powerful connection because they see the good that's done, the binding up of the wound or the, um, you know, uh, my sister's a nurse. Um, My oldest sister has been uh, for a long time and I just have great admiration for her caregiving. She's the person you want in the crisis moment. She's not going to panic. She's going to talk in the same level of tone that I'm talking right now and you know, they could be yelling code blue and she's just going to do what needs to be done in that moment, you know. And um, we need caregivers out there because some of us won't go into that fire or it, into that difficult situation. Um, you know, we, we'll walk around it like the Samaritan story shows. You know, we'll walk around that needy person. And uh, so important uh, people, I think, uh, that have this gift particular. Um, the challenges of this pathway include uh, compassion fatigue and burnout. So, you know, how much empathy can you have? And when do, was that gas tank run out? And when do you need to refill it? So that can be a challenge. Um, lack of personal boundaries. You may just think you need to help everybody. Um, and you're going to be the savior to anybody that comes across your path because you have the gift that would help them. And that can be a danger uh, as well. Uh, The Messiah complex um, and avoidance of truth-telling because sometimes um, a caregiver will just want to just stay in the caregiving and not necessarily deliver ultimate truth or... Uh, uh, say what needs to be said in in a given situation. Here's some scriptures to consider in that area. Esther 2.11, Esther 4.1, Esther 4.13 and 14, Esther 8.7 and 8, Ezekiel chapter 16.49, and then I just mentioned the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's in Luke 10.25 through 37. Uh, 1 John 3, 14, and 17, uh, Philippians 2, 4, Hebrews 6, 10, James 1, 26, and 27, 1 Peter 4, 9, and 10, and Matthew 25, 35, and 36. 
Let's jump on to enthusiasts. This is uh, loving God with mystery and celebration, celebratory worship, as well as the more supernatural forms of the faith. Speak to this group. Shouts of joy, hand clapping, dancing. Josh. Uh, For the Lord are all expressions of this spiritual pathway. Uh, Challenges of this pathway include responding to unanswered prayers and balancing truth and biblical worship with that emotional perspective and personal preference. Um, Similar to the traditionalist maybe that wants everything the same way, this person wants to just show you all the expressions that they've learned and had and get caught up in the whole emotional side of it so much so that they just lose perspective um, with uh, maybe truth at times and and maybe even assign some of their emotional uh, experiences uh, too far. Um, and uh, certainly we're commanded to shout for joy and clap our hands and uh, play the cymbals. I mean, you can find all those references throughout uh, the Old and New Testament, uh, but um, it just can't come at the expense of ignoring Um, truth and balancing uh, truth and biblical worship and other things. Here's some scriptures to consider there. 1 Chronicles 13, 8, 1 Chronicles 15, 16, and 1 Chronicles 6, uh, the whole chapter is 16. Then 2 Chronicles 29, 26, Luke 19, 37 through 40, Acts 3, verse 7, and Acts 8, 9 through 24. Acts 16.25, 1 Corinthians 14.40, Ephesians 5.18 and 19. Then the last two are contemplatives who love God through adoration. Contemplatives seek the first work of their lives to be that of adoring God. They feel that God is their heavenly spouse in whom there is delight. Some contemplatives seek to celebrate God while others seek to explain him. They want to learn to enjoy good and love him in ever deeper ways. Thomas Merton said that a contemplative, uh, there are so many Christians who have practically no idea of the immense love of God for them and of the power of that love to do them good and bring them happiness. That's what a contemplative wants you to know, that God is really, really good and that you should learn to enjoy and celebrate his goodness and his power. The challenges to this pathway include a deficit of others and mistaking fellowship with the Holy Spirit as an emptying instead of a filling. Um, And what we mean by that is simply you're trying to show us all the gifts of the Spirit that God has blessed you with when in fact at times we're required to be filled with the Holy Spirit and that requires some quietness, even though we might want to express the goodness of God. So um, part of our fellowship with the Holy Spirit has to be intake. It can't just always be expressive. And so that's the danger uh, here uh, with this one. Um, Also, some contemplatives have wandered away from the teachings of the Bible To pursue their own experiences because experience becomes their number one connection. They get connected just to the experience. 
It's no longer connection to God. And so then that begins to just take them away. And so then they're just shooting for that moonshot experience instead of a real connection to God. Uh, Some scriptures for you here to consider. Psalm 63 and 73, the entire song. Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah uh, 49. Isaiah 59. Isaiah 61. Those whole chapters. And then Jeremiah 2.2. Matthew 26.6-13. Luke 10.38-42. And John chapters 14-17. And then the last one tonight is intellectuals, loving God with the mind. This pathway awakens faith through understanding. And if intellectuals are not learning something new, they feel stagnant. Uh, One resource uh, for this handout states, the early church was so successful in its witness to the pagan world, not only because they outlived and outdied the world, but they outthought the world. The intellectuals believe that right thinking enables right living and that problems people experience are due in large part because they don't understand the Bible well enough. Now, the challenges of this pathway include enjoying controversy so much that you kind of defeat the whole purpose of sharing your intellectual uh, ideas or your your knowledge of the Bible. You can be so pompous in, in knowing the word and making sure everybody else knows that you know the word, uh, that really you're a total turnoff when you begin to express that. So um, that's a danger for uh, this type of, of um, uh, pathway. Um, and knowing rather than doing uh, is also a danger. And then pride seen in trying to correct everyone around them. So... Uh, we can all fall into this at times when once we know something, we see someone else that's uh, doing evil and we've already got the answer because we got the intellectual side of things and we know they're doing wrong. and We're just going to go show them. We're going to go, so to speak, beat them on the head with the sword or the Bible. And uh, that doesn't work. So let's look at some scriptures there. Uh, Deuteronomy 33.10, 1 Kings 4, 29-34. Psalms 49, Proverbs 1, 5 through 7, Proverbs 2, 3 and 4, and Proverbs 4, 7, Matthew 22, 37, 1 Corinthians 13, the second and third verse, 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7, 1 Timothy 6, 4 through 5, 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 25, and Titus 3, 9 through 11, Luke 2, 46 and 47, and Luke 2, 52, and James uh, 3, 1. So there's a little bit about what that sacred pathway assessment might mean. And I would encourage you to review that as you kind of go through this next week and, uh, you know, begin to see uh, where you might be. Now, I want to jump real quick. Uh, to the gift and practice of solitude and silence Um, and talk about spiritual formation and spiritual practices. Um, Among the many we could talk about, um, 
and you see some quotes here, but practicing solitude and silence um, is as valuable a practice uh, as you could develop as anything, including reading the Bible in solitude and silence, uh, of course. But if you are the type of person that only can do things in a loud, boisterous or very engaging, very enthusiastic, or you're just a total people person. Um, but even if you're an introvert that, you know, maybe tends to be kind of quiet in your own right, but maybe you're very social otherwise, um, you still really um, have to practice uh, going through some of these things that we're going to talk about here under solitude and silence. So let's define solitude. It's an intentional time to be present with God. We're present together with Him in order to give away our control to Him. We open up space for God to form us into the people He wants us to be. Solitude may be practiced when alone or when you're with others. Uh, Psalms 42 verse 2 says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So here's your discussion questions. I'm going to give you about uh, two or four minutes here to discuss Matthew 5, 6 and Psalms 42. Talk about those two passages and then come back to me in just about three or four minutes. Okay, give me some ideas uh, that you came up with. What? How does our solitude impact our ability to hunger and thirst for righteousness, as Matthew talks about? What do you think? How does our solitude impact our ability to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Okay, so the solitude can point us towards where our brokenness lies and then point us towards uh, a righteous solution to that. Okay, what else? Anybody else think of something? Gives us a chance to listen, listen, right? Okay. How about the second question? How does solitude help us to draw closer to God? Um as the sons of Kera would desire. Say again. No distraction. No distraction. Absolutely none. You, you basically have said, here's where I'm going to go and meet you. Right here in my solitude, God. This is where I'm going. And it doesn't have to be a place. I mean, it can be uh, just a timing uh, thing sometimes, but it might have to be a place. It might be you driving down the highway with windshield time. Um, You know, um, it might be when someone's taking a nap. It might be, you know, might be you 
you know, just taking a walk. It might be um, going for a jog. It might be lifting weights. Uh, might be cooking. I told my wife recently that I wanted to get back to baking. I really like to bake. My mom taught me how to bake bread when I was little, and I've just always enjoyed. So um, I'm on about my third um, weekend now. I think uh, last weekend was about three in a row that I baked something. And my cinnamon rolls are not perfect yet, so I can't bring them to you. But they are worthy of eating. I mean, they haven't. No, nobody's turned them down yet. So um, they seem to be disappearing every time I make something. But the reason I did that was I could go in the kitchen on a Saturday morning after I'd been out doing some activity and I can just sit there while I'm making bread and think about God and think about um, uh, things in my life that I want to commit to more. And I mean, it's just a it's just a solid, a solitude time uh, for me. So, um, you know, our society is not uh, real conducive to solitude. <laughs> Megan was just talking about it here. I'm picking on her. But, you know, she said, well, let's see. I, you know, some of you that are moms and dads feel this way. Um, if you're still in, in that stage where the kids are at home, you know, I mean, you've got a little one at your ankles, literally all the way to the bathroom and maybe in the bathroom, um, you know. And, and so you you're thinking, I thought I could just go in there, shut the door and have some peace. But then they have a question while you're in there and they're knocking on the door. And so, you know, it, it, everybody understands that. But beyond that, beyond just our homes, I mean, would you agree our society is trying to keep us pretty busy? Right. I mean, we're running around. You know, we're sitting here with our smartphones. I mean, at any given minute, we could be connected to someone across the world if we want to be. Um, uh, we say connected. I mean, I guess we could be getting information from across the world. I don't know how connected we actually really are. Um, but there's a lot of things uh, for us to be distracted by. So um, the key to solitude is that we take off our mask with God when we uh, enter into solitude with God and we can be real and authentic with him. So we're just saying, we're just laying it all down and, and we're finally saying, all right, what do you have to say to me today? And, 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 and that can be part of the solitude. Now let's define silence. So silence is slowing down, being present in the moment. Uh, not thinking ahead. How many of you have, have trouble not thinking ahead, right? Like even as I was talking, some of you were ready to answer me, right? <laughs> um, not just the cessation of sound, okay? That's not the only part of silence, uh, but it's the spiritual practice of slowing down and being present in the moment. So, you're, you're saying, well, yeah, of course I'm here. I'm in the moment. But being spiritually present in the moment might mean you actually have to be thinking uh, and, and contemplating and discovering what does God want from me? I mean right now, not two seconds from now, but right now. And other times it's a longer period of time. 
Um, and it's letting go of the noise and it's letting God fill the space. Um, one of the things I like about reading scripture and having memorized scripture over time is the ability then to get into a silent mode and see what I can recall. Even if it's not whole passages, even if it's just bits and pieces of, of, of scripture. Um, but that lets, that lets us uh, let God fill the space. Or sometimes you just, you just ask God, please fill my brain with your word right now. Um, and, and let that silence take over. Psalm 62 1 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. And Psalms 46 10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. The Hebrew here means to let go with your grip. That's the hardest thing for us, I think, is to let go. Silence is required to complete the solitude. So, you know, you can be alone, but if it's full of noise, then you really haven't completed the other half of the equation. And that's why these two are uh, intertwined, the silence and the solitude. When we go into solitude and silence, we stop making demands on God. And it's enough that God is God and we're his. And we just begin to try to listen uh, for that. Um, Now, your homework assignment next week, I want to go ahead and get to that and we'll come back and talk about a couple more things, but is to try to schedule five to 20 minutes, just five, Megan. (laughs) Josh, you can shoot for 20. Uh, Five to 20 minutes of solitude and silence experience during the upcoming week. Um, if you can designate a longer time, some of you may be able to give it a full hour. Maybe you know you're going somewhere and nobody's going to be around and maybe you can factor that in. Um, I used to try to give my wife, Darla, four hours of solitude every Saturday when Justin was little. I started taking him to breakfast on Saturdays when he was about six weeks old. And that was our tradition all the way through junior high. So I tried to, I don't know if she took the solitude, but at least she had solitude from the child for four hours. And, um, but, uh, that's your assignment. And, um, there in this list, there's a, there's a whole, uh, a group of things on, on your pages two and three that talk about practicing solitude and silence uh, praying scripture in the practice of solitude. Um, and I really encourage you to try that. Of all the things that you could try, if you've never done this, I mean, you know, we've given you a lot of different things uh, to try. The affirmations, the uh, 22nd thing, the personality prayers, all the different things. But I would really encourage you to take this assignment to heart this week and just just try it. Five minutes, up to 20 minutes. If you can go longer than that, I think that's even uh, better. But go through these exercises and, and, and reread what we just said about defining solitude and silence so you understand what you're looking for in those moments and see what God wants to tell you. See what he wants to say. Um, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. 
um, because the world's certainly not telling you enough of what you need to know for the eternal things that we all deal with. And so sit back and let God tell you some things and, and uh, see, see what that looks like uh, for you. And then next week, um, we will experience um, a revised Stations of the Cross service using only the scriptures that talk about Jesus' experience. Um, it's not using the traditional Catholic Stations of the Cross. It's actually a revised one with eight stations and they come directly uh, from uh, scriptures. So keep working on your spiritual plan. Um, three questions about your plan. List the ways in which you feel you connect to God. List what you're learning about your strengths and challenges. Identify some habits that you intend to keep and some new habits you intend to develop. And don't forget to go back and look at uh, the things that we started with tonight with the uh, Sacred Pathways Assessment. I think that'll be valuable to you as you go back and look at it a second time. And um, again, thanks for putting up with me this week. Let me close with a word of prayer. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.